We're peeling a glass onion in the strange world of Utsuma, because she said Roald Dahl's Matilda's a musical now. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Adam Ball, and this is Off Screen, your seven-day guide to everything movies. Boom. Groovy. Hello and welcome back to the show. So we're going to start with some brand new movies out this week, as we do every week. So first up then... We're going to be talking about uh, Strange Worlds. Now, this uh, this has got Jake Gyllenhaal. Is it Gyllenhaal or Gyllenhaal? Gyllenhaal, Gyllenhaal, tomato, tomato. Let's pull the whole <laughs> thing off, isn't it? Uh, yeah, Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal, who, and this is a weird one for me, is now old enough to play in a, you know, like a teenager's dad. Yeah. Which, when did that happen? Because it was only five minutes ago that Jake Gyllenhaal used to play the teenager in these in these movies. And interestingly enough, his dad in this movie, so the grandfather figure in this movie, is voiced by Dennis Quaid, who played Jake Gyllenhaal's dad when he was a teenager in The Day After Tomorrow. Something even Jake Gyllenhaal himself doesn't seem to remember, according to a new interview. Um, So, this is a multi-generational animated Disney family adventure. Takes place in, you know, a far-off, isolated kingdom. Um, It centers around a family of explorers called the Clades. And they are led by the legendary adventurer, voiced by Dennis Quaid, and his name is Jaeger Clade. Which is funny to me because the, the central character in the last few Transformers movies, the Mark Wahlberg character, is named Cade Jaeger. And I oh, have yeah. always held that up as one of the funniest names that anyone has ever given a fictional character. So we've gone from Cade Jaeger to Jaeger Clade. So just, just throwing that out there, first of all. So, beginning of the movie, they're on an expedition. They want to uh, traverse this mountainous terrain that surrounds their, 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 their sort of town, surrounds their, their, their land, their country, their nation. Uh, to try and reach the outside world, an impenetrable mountain pass that surrounds them. And they're trying to, to get through this mountain pass. Uh, Granddad Jaeger Clade, you know, just dad at this stage, um, wants to persevere. His young, his younger son, Jake Gyllenhaal's character, whose name is Searcher Clade, because names are a wonderful thing in this movie. So Searcher Clade, meanwhile, discovers this, this plant that gives off a very particular kind of energy a green energy that that effectively forms like limitless green fuel, effectively. So like the perfect, yeah, yeah, perfect thing to sustain their society. He says, you know what? There's no need to keep going with this expedition. Let's just take this plant back and study. We can already change the world. There's no need to do this expedition. Let's let's focus on on the now. Let's focus on the immediate game. His dad, however, has other ideas and and continues. He perseveres. He goes on alone and he's never heard from again. Flash forward a couple decades, and Searcher Clade is now a dad himself. We try and find the name of the son. Right, he now has a teenage son named Ethan Clade. So we've gone from Jaeger Clade to Searcher Clade to Ethan Clade. Ethan Clade is voiced by uh, Jabuki Young-White, I think his name is, uh, from uh, the, I know him from The Daily Show. He's the, he's the cool young upstart on The Daily Show. He's the new Hassan Minaj, effectively, over on Comedy Central's Daily Show. And... Uh, they, uh, they they find out there's something wrong with this fuel, which by this point has gen- genuinely become the central power source for their entire society. It's like they literally have Nespresso machines that they pop these plants into, and it, and it powers them, and they put the plants in their cars, and they drive to work. It's very cool and very cute. Oh, I love you? this. Yeah, Disney animated, you imagine. However, 
there seems to be like a rot that's affecting this plant power source. And this is threatening their entire society, obviously, because they've come to depend on it. So they set off in search of the original site where they discovered the plant to begin with and find themselves drawn into what is effectively the land of the lost. There is an entire kingdom through, that you reach through this hole in the ground and it leads to a world of incredible like imagine creatures like you've never seen all sorts of weird and wonderful life forms and they have to explore this world to try and discover what's what's gone wrong however they're not gonna have to do this alone because no sooner have they arrived in this would-be land of the lost that they actually discover something lost of their own can you guess what it is they find down or specifically who it is they find down there oh uh i don't know God? <laughs> well, <laughs> it's not far off. It is, in fact, Dennis Quaid, a.k.a. Jaeger Clade. Have a listen. Hey, boy, come on, open, open the, the door. door. Come on, legend. You can do it. Come on, legend. That's, baby. That's mama's baby. That's mama's baby. You can do it. You can do it. Can you not yell at my dog? Well, I wouldn't yell if you were actually trained. He is trained. He hasn't been in the house for the last two days. We've been on this ship for the last two days. <laughs> Oh, you still have to unlock it. There's a switch right beside the handle. Legend, you see the switch? Legend, you see the switch? I didn't know. What is that sound? Is he licking the switch? Legend, <laughs> stop licking the switch. Legend, stop. Legend, stop licking the switch. I didn't know Smurf was in it. <laughs> well, so you, you get all sorts of uh, of weird and wacky characters in this, and they, they they literally have like a blue amorphous kind of gelatinous kind of blob that befriends them along the way. Um, in yeah. that sequence, they are trapped behind the door on the ship, on the airship that they uh, they go down into the land of the lost. On it's literally the dog that has to let them out. Um, there's there's a lot going for this, and I could see, for instance, you could show your son this, and I think he'd really get captivated by it. I think it would really take him away. Why it's a theatrical release seems really odd to me because it has the feel of something that was made for streaming. Like comparative to the average Disney efforts, this feels a lot more streaming centric than a lot of the ones that they have actually been putting on Disney Plus lately. And I'm looking at you, Disenchanted. Um, I like the cast. I think the cast is great. You can hear uh, uh, Gabrielle Union in there as uh, Search of Clade's wife. Lucy Liu is the captain of the airship. Uh, there's uh, Karen Sony and Alan Tudyk in there as well. It's got a good cast. The problem is it's all really, really paint-by-numbers, particularly if you've ever seen Land of the Lost. And I say that as someone who's quite a fan of the, uh, the, mm. the forgotten 2009 Will Ferrell adaptation of Land of the Lost, which really needs reappraising. That movie is better than people remember it being, I think. Do you, did you ever see that one, Land of the Lost? No, I've never seen it. it it's definitely, it was on my list back in the day, but again, mm. just like, you know, I, I have a list as long as my arm of movies that I really want to see, but I just never get around to seeing them. Well, we actually, we did the the, the, the Saturday morning screening for this uh, about a week ago, and we actually had uh, the directors, Don Hall and uh, Key Guyan, and uh, and then we had uh, Jabuki Youngwai and Jake Gyllenhaal turn up, which is the wow. second time this year I've been in a room with a Gyllenhaal, and it's never bloody Maggie, is it? It's never Maggie <laughs> Gyllenhaal. It's always Jake. I, I despair, I despair. Um, <laughs> but did I you get like to ask to any questions? Uh, no, it wasn't really one of those. Um, oh. I, say, I, I liked this, but I didn't love it. And I just felt like it was very predictable, formulaic paint by numbers. But to be fair, I think this one skews a lot younger and doesn't 
quite cater to the to the parents as much as these movies tend to, despite the fact that it is a multi-generational story. Like, it is about right. fathers and sons and that relationship, and particularly, you know, grandfather, father, son. It's literally a, a three-generation um, structure. It just didn't quite land for me. It was fine. It was like a three-star effort. And, you know, sometimes the animation does creep it up to a four-star because, you know, no one quite does this like Disney. You know what I mean? No one does bright, vivid colors in an alien-looking world quite like Disney. But it's a movie that I think is definitely more going to find its audience on Disney Plus in, in particular because it's, it's a movie that younger kids are going to gravitate towards more than their parents. And I can see that that age bracket being the kind of as you would well know as a parent of a three to three to four years, oh, three yeah. years old now, but, four, um, four years old four you would know yourself kids that age do tend to put these films on on repeat over and over so it, it is yeah. one of those like light year where you're like you are going to get sick of this so quickly incidentally <laughs> light year vastly better movie than this i'll watch light year again before i ever watch this and i've already seen light year three or four times but you know, it's just a Disney movie. It's always a cause for celebration. It's called Strange World. It's been in cinemas for two days, actually, because weirdly they released it uh, on a Wednesday. Um, but yeah, go and go and see a movie starring a man named Jaeger Clade. It's worth it just for that, I think. I've got some um, Disney trivia for you here. This cool. is the 61st animated film that has been um, done by Walt Disney Animation Studios. I, in my head, thought they'd done way more than that. I did, actually. I really yeah. thought we were on more than that. I thought they reached that point by the early 2000s. But then again, yeah. I suppose, when you think about it, they only do really release, like, one, well, t time was that they only released one animated movie a year. And also, when you think about it, it's Disney Studios. You don't include things like Pixar, for instance. Like, Pixar doesn't count as Disney Studios. No, so sometimes they will have a, a Pixar movie out for that year. Uh, for example. But I say, <clears throat> a little bit overlong for me as well, because I think it comes in at 102 minutes, about an hour 42. And I did feel like you could have shaved this down to like 85, 90. If I'm being have you ever tried to keep a four-year-old sit still for more than an hour? It is quite difficult. It's got to be good if that's going to work. I have I have reviewed Disney movies with my nephew when he was much younger, and uh, <laughs> I have noticed. Like to be fair, when when he does like when he is interested, he will sit and watch it. And the the kid watches the live action ones a lot, like the Dumbo and uh, Aladdin remakes. The live action he loves those. Can't explain it. Okay, well, um, you sold it to me. Um, I want to watch it, and, and I'm pretty certain my little boy will have a go. How long he lasts in one place is uh, is another story. <laughs> but um, we are coming back shortly with "She Said," which is a biographical drama about Harvey Weinstein. So we're going to be talking about that and what Van thinks of that. Plus, I think I'm pronouncing this right. We're going to talk about Utama. Utama. I'm going. I'm going with Utama. Let's 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 just go with Utama. We'll say that it's called that. Utama, and we're going to review them both uh, next. So stay right there. And we are back, sticking with brand new movies that are out this week. Uh, okay, Van, let's start now then with She Said, which is the American biographical drama about Harvey Weinstein. Well, interestingly enough, specifically, it's uh, it's an adaptation of the 2019 book. Uh, sorry, 2009. Yeah, 2019 book of the same name by uh, Jodie Cantor and Megan Toohey. Now, I actually read this book uh, when, it, when it came out because why wouldn't I? It's a huge deal. Yeah. And uh, this has now been adapted to the screen. It is the story of the journalistic investigation that winds up, you know, exposing Harvey Weinstein's 
literally prolific history of sexual misconduct. Um, they are played for, uh, Megan Toohey and Jodie Cantor are played for the screen here by Kerry Mulligan and Zoe Kazan. Uh, respectively, you have Carrie Mulligan is the the new mother. She's, she's recently had her first child. You have Zoe Kazan, whose children are a little older, but she herself is younger than than her co-worker. And it's Kazan's investigation that she draws uh, Carrie Mulligan into, as you'll hear in our clip in a moment. And effectively, what you get is something. Did you ever see Spotlight about six or seven years ago, which was the story of the uh, the, the exposure of the uh, the, 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 the priests, effectively the Catholic Church's history of misconduct? No, no, didn't see that at all. Is it filmed in a, in a similar way then? Well, it's very much one of those, you know, it, it, it's it's journalism porn. Effectively, it's like, oh, let's ring drama, like all the president's men style out of this journalist. It's, it's you know, one of those like very rare stories where, where it, the act of journalism is literally heroic. Other movies have tried it. If you ever saw State of Play, you got to see what was a very hilarious version of, of attempting this. This actually does work, though. So it is It is Zoe Kazan and Carrie Mulligan setting out to expose Harvey Weinstein, finding themselves, you know, literally coming up against obstacles that include literally getting women to come forward, which understandably presents a problem in and of itself, um, mm. facing off against Harvey Weinstein, who does appear in the movie in the form of a body double. We do get to hear him, but I'm not sure if it's actual recordings or it's a voice, uh, actually a voice artist. Um, but also justifying the investigation itself, as you can hear in our clip when Kerry Mulligan asks Zoe Kazan to do literally that. What is it exactly that we're looking at here? We're looking at extreme sexual harassment in the workplace. These young women walked into what they all had reason to believe were business meetings with a producer, an employer. They were hopeful. They were expecting a serious conversation about their work or a possible project. Instead, they say he met them with threats and sexual demands. They claim assault and rape. If that can happen to Hollywood actresses, who else is it happening to? This has to be a difficult watch, right? Oh, it's really hard at times. It's a really, really hard watch at times. Um, I will say this. I mean, right, there's a couple of negatives I, I, I want to get out of the way on this because I really like the film. The film did, it opened last week in the US and it bombed. I think it took something like two million in its opening weekend. Wow. And for the scale of the film and the fact that it is an awards contender as well, this has caused serious questions to be asked about, you know, the state of the box office right now. Um, the the explanation has been given away as look, people need escapism right now, and this is just a bit too downbeat for them, which I think is a shame because it's a bloody good film. Right, the negatives I want to get out of the way though. There's there is an element in this in which Ashley Judd, actress Ashley Judd, you might remember from movies like Double Jeopardy, Time to Kill, and so like that, uh, yeah. turns up and does play herself, and does literally for camera relive her own trauma. And there is a certain amount of vindication in there because, you know, Harvey Weinstein literally stripped her career away from her. So it is right in the one sense that she'd be given this role as an act of redemption on the one hand. Uh, it still just feels a little awkward at times. The other elephant in the room is Brad Pitt, who produces this. And his fingerprints are kind of all over this. And that's an issue. And if you don't know why, Google Brad Pitt and Harvey Weinstein, and and there's a lot there's a lot Ooh. behind that, and yeah, because not one but two of Brad's ladies are mixed up in this. Only one noticeably gets named. 
and she gets named a lot. And interestingly enough, they do queue her up to appear, but she doesn't. It's kind of, I couldn't figure out quite why they did that. The movie, though, great. I would argue Andre Brower, an actor I absolutely adore, is kind of underutilized, despite the fact that he seems to be quite a pivotal player. Great cast, though, uh, that also includes Patricia Clarkson, Jennifer Ale, uh, Ashley Judd. As I say, I think there's a voice cameo from Rose McGowan in there, because you can't really do this story without mentioning Rose McGowan. No mention of Azure Argento uh, anywhere in this, though, which, you know, justice for Azure. Um, although she's problematic in her own way. There's loads of that to this movie. But I think uh, German director uh, Maria Schrader, who used to be, uh, was an actress, is, is, is doing the directing, writing and directing here, um, has done a pretty good job of effect, what is effectively the new Spotlight. Because this is a movie that is going to fill that void from maybe six years ago that we had Spotlight. I think this is very much going to tick all the same boxes. That it hasn't gone down as well at the box office irks me. But... You know, like we said, they, they seem to think that people need escapism. I would argue that that's not really much of a justification. It has more to do with, I think, just the state of cinema lately. And I think people are having a sort of watered-down reaction to new theatrical releases. Now, this probably could have done with having a premium streaming release the same day or something like that. But mm. You don't think it's a boycott in any sense? No, I, I, don't, I don't really think there's anything like that. But I do think, on the one hand... In, in, in the American heartland, this isn't a movie that was ever going to do particularly well anyway, because it's not a movie that appeals to, let's just say, red states, for lack of a better, if you know what I mean. You know, like, the, the red state audience are not exactly going to flock to see this, so there is that effect. But you would imagine in like you know New York and LA, this would have come down very well. Evidently, it did not. Okay, um, so that is... When's that out? Is that out now? That is today, so That is it? out from today, she said. So that is in cinemas from today. Okay, let's move on to Utama. Talk to me about this. So Utama, which <clears throat> was, was presented to me as, uh, you know, a, a, a Bolivian climate change drama, which it kind of is... But at the same time, it's more of a familial drama. It's it's kind of the age-old drama of the you know the young grand the, the sort of young adult grandson trying to convince his sort of stuck in his ways grandfather to give up the family farm, effectively. Albeit in this case, a family farm that happens to be the Bolivian desert that is facing a severe drought because of climate change, because of the change in the environment. Now, obviously, we, we haven't got a clip for this because I don't think our, our, our Spanish-speaking audience, or particularly our Bolivian dialect of Spanish-speaking audiences, are that sizable. Um, so this is uh, directed by... You have to forgive me on the names on this one. Alejandro uh, Grisi has uh, written and directed this. Um, set in the, uh, the Bolivian highlands, uh, and they are literally llama farmers, for lack of a better term. And, and what you've got <laughs> is the grandfather, the grandfather Virginio, and the young grandson, Clever. His name is literally Clever. And uh, they, they just don't really see eye to eye. And what you have is Virginio's health failing on him. As, you know, grandma's forced to walk several miles to the river every day to literally fill a bucket with a little tin can. And the, the toll that this is taking on these older grandparents, add, add to which Virginio is himself experiencing health woes that he's trying to keep relatively, you know, to himself. He's a very stubborn man. He's very set in his ways. His grandson, though, you know, immediately sees through it. And it's very much a case of, look, you guys need to come with me to the city. Come and live with me and my dad in the city. It's obvious that there has been a family rift at some point in the past between your grandfather and father that seems to have had a knock-on effect with grandfather and grandson as well. And 
the whole thing becomes about getting the grandparents to literally give up the family farm effectively, move to the city, but also, come on, get get to where the hospitals are and save your own life. Well, yeah. And yeah, and it's a really rousing drama. It's one of those great ones as well, um, in which the language barrier doesn't get in the way of you you sitting there going, hot damn, these are good performances. Like, these are really, really good turns that we're, we're seeing here, particularly from uh, Virginia, who's played by uh, uh, Jose Calcina. Um, I think his performance, because he's just just this curmudgeonly grumpy old git, and you sort there are times where you sort of get where he's coming from, but he plays the stuck in his ways element quite well. You know that whole look. This is our lives. You know, these this is our life. You know, don't don't come here and bring your moralistic values to to what we've always known. I and I, it worked for me. It really it, it is about anyone who's ever tried to you know have to talk round a stuck-in-their-ways older relative will immediately relate to a lot of the stuff that goes on here, but, you know, with really dire, like, global consequences in there. This is a really rousing drama. I know the subtitle barrier is going to rule you out, for instance, straight away. Um, I was about to say that. That was going to be the next thing. Subtitles, <laughs> you know I just find it so hard to get into anything with subtitles. Although, saying that, Squid Games did do it, I did okay with that. That was I will right. get you to watch the raid one of these days. It is going to happen. I will <laughs> watch the raid, and I will forever cure you of your aversion to subtitles. Because the raid is one of the greatest movies ever made. Possibly top three action movies ever made. Anyway, um, Utama though in cinemas from today, well worth checking out. Um, a bit of a uh, say shout out for uh, Santos Choquet as well as Clever. Uh, I, I thought he was really good. I thought for what could have been a pretty thankless, just sort of a very whiny role as, as the grandson, I thought he did very, very well. But uh, like I say, though, uh, Jose Casino as uh, Virginia, absolutely brilliant in this performance, is it right? Uh, so that's Utama, and that's out in cinemas uh, from today. Okay, so stay right there. We're going to be back as Daniel Craig reprises his role as Benoit Blanc in Glass Onion. We'll be talking about that shortly. And the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special as well, which is on Disney Plus from today. So stay right there. Hello and welcome back. Uh, we are going to stick with some more brand new movies out this week. So first up then, Van, the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special on Disney Plus from today. Well, I mean, this barely kind of counts as a movie because it's only 43 minutes long, it's worth pointing out. But you know what? We were, we, we were pushed for films to cover and fill this week. And also it's made by, in my opinion, the most fun mainstream filmmaker working today, James Gunn, a.k.a. the current head of DC Films. So, you know, there is a god in the universe, it seems. So, yeah. The Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special takes place, where well, this is, you know, like, present day in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So this is, you know, after Thor, Love and Thunder, and the Guardians have parted way with Thor. So you have the Guardians of the Galaxy, who are our misfit band of, of, of you know, space pirates, effectively, led by Star-Lord, a.k.a. Peter Quill, you know, abducted from Earth in, you know, 1988, I think it was. Um, still obsessed with the pop culture of the 1980s and because of you know the events that have happened to the Guardians of the Galaxy over the past couple of years namely losing one of their number Gamora um, he's a bit down in the dumps and it's coming up to a certain time of year a certain seasonal time of year that the rest of his alien friends have you know heard him talk about over the years and celebrated with him in their own individual way and they decide you know what he needs cheering up this year he needs the ultimate present and 
there's a very limited list of things that Star-Lord really loves. He loves his music, he loves his films, but when it comes to the things he loves, like those music and films, there's one thing he loves more than anything, and I'll let the clip take it away for you. Maybe if we gave Peter a really wonderful Christmas gift, it would make him happy. What kind of present? Something special he will never forget. What about someone special? What? Over the years, Quill has talked about one person more than any other. A legendary hero who has saved countless lives. We could give him to Quill as a present. We're looking for the legendary Kevin Bacon. We're looking for the legendary Kevin Bacon. I just said that, Drax. Your voice is small and mousy. I think maybe he didn't hear you. He heard. He's Kevin Bacon. He's probably got great ears. I'm sorry, guys. I can't help you. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin Bacon. Do you know what? I've never seen any Guardians of the Galaxy, but you know, you know that has just sold it for me. It's absolutely my sense of humor. I love that. Uh, first of all, I mean, Guardian, the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise would be right up your alley. Of all yeah. the Marvel, of all the Marvel series, it's the one that's very much the most you. Um, when the first one came out in 2014, I was absolutely blown away. This because it was Marvel Star Wars. It is Marvel Star Wars. That's the yeah. best one. But in typical Marvel style, there's just a lot of comedy, and and James Gunn has this whole thing with soundtracks and working music into his movies. Um, this incidentally does open with uh, Fairy Tale in New York by the Pogues. And I have never, I think, according to Kermode, I think The Wire made a big deal of the Pogues. Um, but I've never heard Fairy Tale New York, Fairy Tale in New York, in an American uh, production. Uh, noticeably, incidentally, yes, they do skip that line before you ask. Um, this is bags of fun. It's obviously been made sort of, you know, quick and, you know, quickly and, and with as little fuss as possible because it's only really a four-scene kind of a setup. It's a bit bigger than that. It's Marvel, you know, there's several million dollars, you know, and it's all on the screen, you know, for you to behold. Gavin Bacon, absolutely up for a good time on this one. The Guardians cast are kind of sidelined. It's mostly about Dave Batista and Pom Clementif as, as Mantis. Uh, there's some great nods to the wider Marvel Universe. There is a little bit more of the, the Guardians mythology dropped in there for fans as well. But mostly, it's just a really bloody charming holiday special. It's a really sweet little 45 minute long Christmas adventure that has a little bit of 1970s style animation that has a little bit of that sort of, you know, Christmas Charlie Brown kind of thing going on for it. A little bit of the Star Wars holiday special going on for it. And just boatloads of comedy. Dave Batista having the time of his life, which I am going to say about the next film we review as well, incidentally. But this is on Disney Plus from today. Kick-ass soundtrack, as you would imagine, from James Gunn. Bags of directorial fun and just loads and loads of laughs. But, like I say, it's all about the heart. It's James Gunn. No one does, you know, heart and soul quite like James Gunn in a mainstream popcorn flick. And I say that knowing full well that Guardians of the Galaxy 2 managed to make narrative pathos out of a father and son literally playing catch, throwing an energy <laughs> ball back and forth. What a guy. I mean, James Gunn has had a rough couple of years as far as his treatment by the alt-right uh, went. He literally got sacked from Guardians of the Galaxy 3 and then rehired uh, quite famously uh, down the line. Uh, and in the meanwhile made The Suicide Squad, which I think is still the best of the, the DC movies. He literally went to work for the other side, which is how he's got the job running them. Um, 
check this out. This is a really fun one. I, honestly, I can't recommend uh, Adam, you watch Guardians of the Galaxy and then Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and then this. It's so they're, they're such a great series. This is the perfect little cherry on top of what was already a great pair of films. There's a rumour we're getting the trailer for the third one, I think, next week because there's a, a, a conference in Brazil that Marvel are doing a whole presentation at. Um, yeah, the Guardians are back. They're as great as they ever were. And this time, they're getting seasonal. So the Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special on Disney Plus from today. Well, that review's definitely um, enticed me to give it a whirl. So uh, I think maybe that'll uh, that'll be maybe my Christmas viewing. Um, all right, let's move on then. So next, we are heading back to Daniel Craig as he reprises his role as Benoit Blanc in Glass Onion. That is, uh, that's out, this is a weird one, isn't it? It's out today for a week, and then on to Netflix. Well, even weirder, it came out on Wednesday for a week. I'm not sure if it's a week or nine days, if they're running it through to next Friday. Uh, and then it's going to disappear until the 23rd of December. Oh, right. On, yeah, and then it's, it's in the 23rd of December, it's going to be put on Netflix. Um, I will urge everyone here and now, go and see this in a cinema if you can. I know all the Odeons and Cineworlds and Curzons are showing it. Go and see it, because... We need, as she said, kind of proved, we need to boost box office on these things, and these movies need bums on seats. Otherwise, you know, we don't get them. We don't get more of them. If you don't yeah. pay to see them and they don't make money, they're not going to make more of them. The inverse of this is also true. So when you pay to see a rubbish film, that's why they make more of them, and that's why we keep getting more sex in the city. Just saying. <laughs> so, so if you, uh, if you, I know you haven't seen Knives Out, but for anyone who's unfamiliar, Knives Out was a movie just before the pandemic, late 2019, uh, got nominated for uh, Best Original Screenplay, which, you know, big feather in my cap. Um, I was a huge fan of it. It's a, an Agatha Christie-style murder mystery in which Benoit Blanc, a, a, a southern detective, literally the, the man who solves it all with a southern drawl. We, we constantly get told he talks like Foghorn Leghorn. Played by Daniel Craig, has to solve the murder in the first one of a murder mystery author. And you get an all-star cast playing his family, effectively, the suspects. And it's a classic Agatha Christie type thing. This time around, same shtick, different, different day. This time around, the we get a, a, a billionaire tech mogul, Miles Bron, played by Edward Norton who drags all of his friends and, and colleagues along to his remote island, his private island. Benoit Blanc included, it seems, although no one seems to, no one including Benoit seems to know why, to a murder mystery party. Only for, would you believe it, there to be an actual murder. So it turns out to be quite handy that you've got the world's greatest detective on hand. So have a listen to, this is, this is the cast of characters being invited to the island. See if you recognise any of these names. Obviously, I've already told you Batista is in this. See if you recognise any of the voices in this clip. My dear friends, my beautiful disruptors, my closest inner circle. We could all use a moment of normalcy, and so you are cordially invited. For a long weekend on my private island! Where we will celebrate the bonds that connect us, and I hope your puzzle-solving skills are whetted. Ah! Because you will also be competing to solve the mystery... Ah! ...of my murder... Travel details to come. Please forward any dietary restrictions. Love and all my kisses, Miles. Ma, where's my spear gun? I got a pack. Babe, get packed. I loved it. I really, I just loved it. Definitely didn't recognize any of those voices, though. 
Right, so there's Kate Hudson in there, Catherine Hahn, um, Leslie wow. Odom Jr., Janelle Monet. Uh, let me pull the list up on here. Oh, Jessica Henwick is in there, Madison, uh, Madeline Klein. Jackie Hoffman. I think, I think I cut the clip just before Jackie Hoffman gets to uh, gets to make a little appearance in there. It's so good. This is a bigger, bolder sequel, but you don't need to have seen Knives Out at all to have seen this. In the same way that you don't need to have seen a Murder on the Orient Express to watch Death on the Nile. Or you don't need to have seen any of the previous Poirot mysteries to see, you know, the latest Poirot mystery. It's exactly, it's exactly that. It's, you know, the detective shows up. It's a new case. It's a new day. New all-star cast. Let's have some fun. Um, this is just a bigger, bolder, just more beautiful looking sequel. It's a little sillier, a teensy bit sillier, because with the billionaire aspect of it, they are going a bit more into, you know, sensationalist Elon Musky territory. I mean, the, the, the title Glass Onion refers to a literal glass onion, which which you kind of have to see to believe, and there's a lot more suspension of disbelief required on this one. But it all works. The tone is actually brilliant in this. I mean, I was going to say, I mean, I love a, a good murder mystery, but quite often it's very easy for them to slip into a cheesy kind of vibe. I'm assuming from what you're saying, this avoids all of that. Yeah, this this a really, really clever movie. I mean, the first one was as well. And this is very much... This seems to know what did, and most importantly, what didn't work uh, about the first one. And it knows mm. to play its hand exactly right. It's It just feels like a super-sized sequel to that first one. And it is one that, that does feel... I hate to say it's a better movie than the previous one. In a strange... Because I rewatched Knives Out this past week. So, oh, I just love this movie. And I think Daniel Craig... It's nice to see Daniel Craig getting to embrace his comedic side. He doesn't really get to do that often. No. I mean, outside of uh, uh, Logan Lucky, for instance, and things like that, you don't really get to see funny Daniel Craig. And you do get to see that here. Incidentally, we do get to learn a little bit about Benoit Blanc's personal life in this. And uh, there's... I, I, I can't spoil it for you, but there's, there's a reason to go and see it purely there. Um, just the aesthetics of this, the cinematography, the costume design of it is tremendous. Like Benoit Blanc is just the best dressed man in the universe. Like, I want his wardrobe. Like no one pulls off salmon quite like Daniel Craig. Um, but MVP again on this uh, MVP of. of Guides of the Galaxy, incidentally, Pomplementif. I think she's tremendous in that. But Batista, great. Batista here, though, is getting to play effectively Dan Blazarian, the Instagram douchebag with the, 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 the infamous beard. And he's brilliant at it because you know it's the complete opposite of what that Dave Batista is like. And seeing the, you know, him get to do that, to play this like toxic manbro type. Absolutely wonderful. Hilarious. I love the cast in this. I love Kate Hudson. Edward Norton as well, because Edward Norton usually plays kind of a slimy arsehole type. It's, it's nice to see him put a little bit of a new spin on that to play with his own unlikability. And he's good at that. But Ryan Johnson, writer-director Ryan Johnson. Mm, mwah, chef's kiss, sir. Chef's kiss. Do you know what? <laughs> I, I am the guy. I am the guy that literally, I, I was in the press conference uh, after the LFF premiere of this. And you can hear me in, in the video yelling as he enters the room. Yeah, last Jedi ruled. I stand <laughs> by that. And you know what? It's, it's just great to see him getting to do what he is so good at. If you can see this in a cinema, do. Hashtag cinema, this is it all the way. Um, but, you know, and whether you do or you don't, December 23rd, get this fired up on Netflix. This is a proper banger. 
Alright, well that was Glass Onion then. Uh, we are going to be back with Roald Dahl's Matilda the Musical. You are going to have to work so hard to get me to like and watch this. Because I don't really like musicals on TV. So you can sell it to me in a second, Van. And we'll be back in, uh, well, in a few blinks of a something or other. Hello, and we are back for one last ride. Um, and because there are so many of them, we're sticking with brand new movies again this week. Um, so, Roald Dahl's Matilda, the musical. Talk to me, Van. Yeah, so this, this is an interesting one because, again, Netflix rear their head uh, with this one. It's kind of a co-production, I think, between Sony and Netflix. So Sony are doing the theatrical release, like now, like today, and then next summer it's on Netflix. Like it's a weird, It seems like quite a long time, but they say wow. summer 2023 um, for, for Netflix. I'd imagine that's going to get bumped up. Uh, right, first of all, the existence of a new version of Matilda is, 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 is a dicey prospect because it has now been, I think it's 24 years since the Danny DeVito directed adaptation of Matilda and that is so deeply entrenched in mm. so many childhoods and so and so much nostalgia that to revisit it seems yeah, I can say it's a dicey prospect however this is not a remake of that film or that adaptation this is a feature film adaptation of the West End stage musical by Tim Minchin which adapts the Roald Dahl uh, novel for the screen. Now, to be fair, the, the from what I can gather, the stage show seems to have, t have been a pretty faithful adaptation anyway, as was the Danny DeVito one. So there is a lot of overlap, and there's a lot of dialogue that you know, kind of repeats itself, things like that. So I was able, despite having never seen the stage show, to sit there and just, just know exactly where I was in this story at any time. So it was effectively like watching a remake of the 96 version with musical numbers. So if you're unfamiliar, this is the story of Matilda, who is a young, neglected girl who has, you know, genius-level IQ, who's really creative and into reading and things like that, uh, ignored by her negligent parents, um, who, are then who are then discovered to have basically kept her from school. They're simply not bothered to send her to school. She gets uh, discovered by Miss Honey, who in the last version was M. Beth Davids. It's played for the screen here by L Lashana Lynch. I, I adore Lashana Lynch. Just saying her name just gives me butterflies. I love Lashana Lynch. Uh, so seen most recently in The Woman King um, as well. She goes to this school where she quickly draws the ire of the militant headmistress, Mitch, Miss Trunchbull, played for the screen here by Emma Thompson in some frankly brilliant makeup effects. Right. Like it's a full bodysuit, she's got like a square jaw, big moles <laughs> on her and everything. And, and, and she is just this militant, like former Olympic, uh, former Olympian uh, head teacher who runs it all like a boot camp, effectively, and has no time for creativity or joy. Children are there to learn. They are maggots, as she says. She keeps referring to them as maggots. Like everywhere you see signs of, you are maggots, you are nothing, you know, things like that. Um, and Matilda learns to basically rise up. She is the upstart who rises up uh, in, in this, this, you know, militant school effectively and inspires the other kids along the way noticeably a young boy named uh, Bruce Boxtrotter and a very very famous scene involving chocolate cake which yes is repeated here and yes gets a musical number oh, uh, like great. I say great cast in there as well you've got Stephen Graham and Andrea Riseborough are replacing uh, Danny DeVito and Rhea Perlman as the parents in this version but it is you've seen that previous version this is basically a beat for beat remake 
different style, shot very differently, and with musical numbers. So, have a little listen. This is Matilda coming home from her first day of school and dealing with the rents. Do you want to hear about my first day at school? Yeah, I'd rather eat vegetables. It's official. I'm a genius. My losing streak is over. This fella comes into the lock. Good, you want? Great big bear of a man. And this bear of a man wants a luxury car. Oh, lovely. But the bear's dry. No, it's not a real bear. Do you have a luxury car? I've got two, boy. I'm a girl. One would have smashed in front and one would have smashed in back. All I've got to do is cut them in half, glue them together and bubs your chipmunk. Daddy's back. But isn't that illegal? And sort of, well, wrong? What did he say? Wrong? I mean, for me, that sounds okay. The bit that I worry about when it becomes musicals in a on a, in a movie kind of format is where they do the oh yeah, how are you today? I am fine, and I'm singing. And it's I find that hard to go from sort of serious speech into a song. I just find that bit hard. Remind me never to watch Elf with you uh, for start. <laughs> I'm with my dad and I'm singing. That's um, all right because it's Christmas. Yeah, well, the thing is, it's not really like that. Um, musical numbers as well, I think, actually work tremendously. Well, I would imagine they are pretty faithfully adapted from the stage show. Um, we talked about, funny enough, I just mentioned Will Ferrell. We, when we reviewed uh, Spirited, do you remember one of my big complaints about Spirited was that when it came to the staging of musical numbers, it was a bit too stage show. It was a yeah. bit sit back from the middle distance and you can just perform this on a three-tier stage this is a lot more involving and this is very much what i wanted from that this is let's make the camera part of the action and there's a lot of movement and there's a lot of energy to it and it really sells you do get sucked into those musical numbers i was coming away from this literally humming and, and singing the, the song tommy you know sometimes you've got to be a little bit naughty as she sings i had a really good time with this um the new cast i think work really really well uh stephen graham and andrew riseborough as the as the parent i i think are great i think they are really really fun they sell it really well um incidentally it is interesting to me that uh you know we, we have this reverence for the i, I say the original you know, the 96 version despite the fact it's a very americanized version of a roald dahl story and roald dahl is about as british as it gets here we are very much entrenched in the you know the britannia of, of it all um but the the cast of it like emma thompson Imagine how good Emma Thompson would be in this role and then multiply it by a factor of five. She's so good in this that the, the makeup effects they put on her, she works so well with. And you, you don't find yourself... You, you quickly dispel any memories of that 96 version. It's not something that sticks with you. You do find yourself putting it aside rather nicely and simply going with this. I came away from it feeling very charmed. I was very moved by it. There were points at which I was actually a little choked up. And for the same emotional beats that I was by, you know, the previous iteration, admittedly. But that's a, that's the strength of the story, I think. And and that, that strength is aptly brought to the screen here as well. Um, directed by uh, Matthew Walkers for the screen. And uh, Walkers famously directed Pride in 2014, which I think is one of the best British films of this century. The, the story of the, uh, the, the, the gay activists who went and helped the miners during the strikes in the 80s. And I, I will say, there is a lot of that rustic period British charm brought to this as well. Um, again, I think this is going to go down gangbusters with family audiences in, as we near the Christmas season. You know, you need that film as we... This is going to be work as very, very solid counter-programming in weeks to come against Avatar Way of Water, 
I think. When that comes out in, I think it's two weeks' time, we get Avatar 2. Um, two or three weeks' time, we get Avatar 2. I think this oh. is going to be what the families with the younger kids gravitate towards. And I yeah. can absolutely see it leaving absolutely no one disappointed in that regard, save for possibly a few parents who maybe have a bit too much nostalgia for the 96 Danny DeVito version. But like I say, I was able to put that aside really quickly and, and get sucked into it here. Um, I will say as well, the uh, young actress they've actually got playing Matilda, whose name escapes me. She's like too far down the... Uh, actually, too far down the, the list of... of really, IMDb? They, she they, should be at the top! She should be at the top of the list, IMDb. Yes! What the hell are you playing at? Wow. Right, well, yeah, there you go. Failed on that regard. Young actress really worked for me. Can carry the tunes nicely, but I really enjoyed the, the visual stylings of it. I don't think it's as visually iconic as DeVito's version. I think DeVito's yeah. version worked better with that Roald Dahl gothy aesthetic, and I think brought Quentin Blake's illustrations slightly more to life than this. But I would argue that I don't think this is setting out for that. I think this is focusing more on realizing the stage musical. And in that regard, I will say it presents a better stage musical to screen adaptation than if I'm going to compare it to any, everybody's talking about Jamie from earlier this year, from earlier this year, last year, which I just felt was a bit stilton when it got to its musical numbers. This effortlessly corrects that. So I think this is going to go down gangbusters. I mean, you've convinced me enough to at least give it a try because from what I can gather, you know, from what you said, the only thing it's got in common with the 96 original is the same kind of storyline. Apart from that, everything else is different. Well, you know, it's, 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 a new, it's a new paint job and some musical numbers, you know, that is what it is. Well, Roald Dahl's Matilda the Musical, Netflix, it is out today. So uh, that is all we've got time for this week. Um, now, next week, uh, there's a nice little list that is building for movies to talk about. So first up, we're going to talk about The Infernal Machine. Isn't that the one that's about the writer that's trapped and stuck on an island? Yeah, I think it's Guy Pearce, I think, isn't it? Because he looks, uh, he looks wow. like Stephen Lang on the poster. He looks exactly like Stephen Lang. But then again, Guy Pearce is like a chameleon when he gets going. Uh, Guy Pearce, incidentally, you know, villain of one of my very favourite Christmas movies, Iron Man 3, yo. Uh, we've also got uh, Lynch slash Oz next week, which combines David Lynch and Frank Oz, which I'm very much, much looking forward to. Uh, we've got the uh, rom-com India Sweets and Spices next week. Uh, Tori and Lokita, which I don't know anything about, to be really honest. Um, the musical documentary 25 Years of UK Garage. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's out next week. And, oh, my God, the talent roster on that is insane. Yeah. I mean, the late 90s for Garage, oh, mwah, is all I can mm. say. And, of course, the one that I am so, so looking forward to. I've been <laughs> this for a long time. Violent Night, which is literally <laughs> Die Hard with Santa, with the actual Santa Claus. So Santa and Santa Magic doing a Die Hard. And Johnny Legs, John Leguizamo is the villain. We talked about the menu uh, last week, week before. You know how much I adore Johnny Legs. I can't yeah. wait for that. I'm really looking forward to that, and that is what I've got to make an effort to try and watch if I can get a screener with you beforehand, because um, that is right up my street. So we've got all of those to come uh, and more next week on Off Screen. Until then, I've been Adam Ball. I've been Van Connor, and we shall return. Mm -hmm.